Parashat Bahalotecha. We're back to the Parashat for the next few weeks. And this week's Parashat is a, you know, back where we start to get some of the stories and some of the events that take place in the desert we see in this week's parasha, And so we're going to look at one of them. And what we're going to learn today is, you know, people like power. People like power. People like to have control over their life. Maybe they like to have control over their children. Some people want to have control over other people. People like power. I'm going to give you here a potion that is going to give you power. This gives power. And I'm not a magic guy, but this here is something that will give you power. We're going to look at a story here that's in the parasha. And the story is well known. Miriam and Aharon start to talk. Miriam and Aharon are talking. And they start to talk about their brother. The Moshe about this wife that he took. And really was in essence about the fact that he decided to leave her. And their discussion was in essence, who does he think he is? Does God only speak to him? God speaks to us too. And why? Because he's so holy that he can't have. He is so holy that he can't have a wife. We're also holy. We're also prophets. Hashem talks to us, and we're still married. Next pasuk says. Moshe and Moshe was very humble. from any person on the face of the earth. In the middle of nowhere, drops in with this pasuk. Moshe was humble, and then the story continues. And God said, God appeared suddenly to Moshe, Aaron, and Miriam, and He said, He told them to go to the Amura. They should go to the Oyam Moed, and He called out to Aaron and Miriam, and He told them, you, you think you're the same? Nobody's like Moshe." Moshe is comfortable in my home, so to speak. He could come in, he's welcome in God's home. He can talk to God at any moment. I speak to him face to face. And I don't speak to him in dreams. And he sees me clearly. God was very upset. And Miriam got Sarat. You know the story? And Aaron saw her with the Sarat. And the whole, she was sent out of the camp for seven days. And the entire Jewish people waited for seven days for her Sarah to go away. That's the story. Our main question on this story is that strange pasuk, or strange in its placement pasuk, that Moshe is the most humble man on the face of the earth. What in the world is it doing here? And the Sifri, one of the commentaries that the, from the time of the Gemara, the Mishnah says, that Moshe was not humble from himself, he was humble from his knowledge. And what does that mean? Again, it's telling us in the middle of the story, Miriam is talking about her brother, Aharon, they're discussing, talking about their brother, and suddenly it says, Moshe is the humblest man on the face of the earth. And then it continues, God gets very angry, and God tells the saying, he's going to punish, and he, and he punishes her, and he gives us Sarat, and that's the story. What? Relevance. Why in the world is the story about his humility in the middle of no place? Number one. And number two, what does it mean? It's not from himself, it's from his knowledge. So first a word about Lashon Hara for a minute. The Basuk says, we have one of the 613 mitzvot, is to remember what God did to Miriam. 
the Rambam explains what does it mean to remember what God did to Miriam. He says, look how Miriam spoke about her brother. And he says, and in that case, it was only, it was her older brother. So you'd say, it's not so bad, it's siblings, they're talking to one another. You know, one brother talks to, a sister talks to a brother about a brother, it's not like a big deal. Happens every day, siblings talking about each other, it's not the end of the world. It's her brother that she practically raised. She was helped and involved in raising this boy. She not just helped raise, not just is it her younger brother, excuse me, her younger brother, not just the younger brother that she raised, but it's also a boy that she practically sacrificed her life for, that when she put him in the river, she sat behind the reeds to watch him to make sure that he's being protected. And she didn't even speak so bad about him. What'd she say? She just said that he's a regular prophet. He's not... She didn't call him, he's a lowlife, he's a joke. He's, he said that he's a... Prophet, he's not. Why is he leaving his wife? Never in the history of Jewish people was it recommended for someone to leave their wife ever. So it was strange to them. So they commented about it, and they just said he's a good, he's a great prophet, but he's a prophet. That's it. And God, and then the Rambam says, and Moshe didn't even care. How do you know Moshe didn't even care? From this what? It's from you know from the fact that it's right, out right in there in the sixth in the pasuk. And Moshe was the humblest man on the face of the earth. He couldn't care less. So Moshe didn't care. It's his sister, youngest sister, his oldest sister talking. Oldest sister who raised him, who sacrificed for him, and not even saying that bad. And look at her punishment. Says the Rambam, all the more so, we should be worried about when we speak Lashon Hara. And Lashon Hara is by far the hardest mitzvah to keep. But what we can at least recognize about it is it is dramatic and it is dangerous and the truth is that now it, you know how with the advance of technology you now have bombs used to be if a guy was a bad guy he had a bow and arrow or he had a spear so he threw the spear at six people or he shot the bow and arrow at four people and he ran out of arrows then they invented guns then they invented bombs then they invented atom bombs and so now you have a guy like Ahmadinejad who basically all he has to do is press a button and he could wipe out millions of people if he so chooses. We've become that powerful with our Lashon Hara. And that's not the power I'm talking about. But we've become that powerful. We've become that lethal. So now you have a, with a computer, an email that you can have people who have mass lists and they have friends and you can put something on an email, send it out, then the email goes to somebody else. Then that guy forwards it to four people. Those four people each forward it to four people. And if it's a real juicy piece, it could forward to thousands of people in matters of hours. Literally hours. It could go to thousands of people. And so recognize the power and the strength and how serious Lashon Hara is. But that's not what we're here to talk about. What I want to talk about is Moshe's reaction. Moshe didn't say a word. Ra'ish Moshe anav me'od. Moshe is the humblest man on the face of the earth. I'm going to tell you now a Gemara. It's going to tell you, like I said, I don't think there's anything that the Gemara says repeatedly gives a person power and gives a person strength and gives very strong reward than this thing. And I say it's powerful, I mean it's really powerful. Gemara says as follows. Shabbat. Hanelvim 
Someone who is able to be insulted and not insult back. They hear embarrassment and they don't respond. And they're even happy about it. Alav Akatub Omer on this person, the Pasuk says, Ohavav Geset Hashem God loves this person like the sun in its most strongest form. It's, a to- it's really talking about a type of level of Alam Haba and pleasure that no one can ever fathom a picture. It's for this person who's Nelvim Ve'enam Ovim, who's insulted and doesn't insult back. There's no greater thing. I will show you a few other examples in the Gemara where the per- a person becomes, so to speak, powerful and blessed if they're able to take that punch and not respond. It's nothing harder. Because what happens is if you ever insulted or embarrassed or someone made fun of your kid in front of other people, what happens is you instantly start to, your mind's racing, you start defending, you start thinking, and something has to come out within five and a half seconds. Gotta come back. Then you can't, you can't just let it go. If you have the strength to do so, there's nothing more powerful than this. And there's actually levels. I want to give you the levels of this, the ability to hold back. And you can picture, when we talk about this story, you can picture, like I said, a person who's went somewhere and someone says something a little insulting about one of your children. You right away want to clock the person. Or someone says, or someone maybe is a little derogatory, says something a little backhanded about your spouse, about your husband, oh, he's this, he's that. Gets you annoyed or upset. Or maybe one of your siblings at a holiday meal says something, oh, you know, like that, man, with the kids, oh, your kids are always the ones running around, or your kids are always the ones making the mess, or, oh, it's her kids, oh, of course, her kids are here, you know, no wonder. One comment like that, and you want to leave the table and not come back for three days. Right? I myself had a story a little while, only recently. I was speaking someplace, and someone came in the middle, said, Rabbi, you're overtime, you have to stop. There was like a lot of people there. I said, I'm like in the middle of a point, like, could you give me two minutes? He said, No, no, Rabbi, you have to stop now. So I said, Okay, I stopped. I walked out. Now, that's a tough one, right? It's hard. I'm not going to tell you what I did. We'll get into the but it's hard. It's hard to have Sunday where now all of a sudden you're embarrassed. Or you're a little embarrassed. You're a little taken aback. Okay, it's a good, good example, right? No one's example is better than that one. So, you got to take a little, uh, you get taken aback. And your initial reaction is to respond. Say something back. And this Gemara says, no. You have the power to not do so. And I'll give you the three levels. It said, Number one is someone who's insulted who doesn't insult back. The first thing you want to do is if someone makes tells you about your kids, you want to remind them about this. And you know, last week when we were in mommy's house and this and the other one and or, or you're, my husband's the one who, who never comes or never does or never says. How about when last a month ago when we had a family thing, your husband missed it, came, he, can, he was doing this and that. You want to insult back. The strength to not insult back is basic level. The next level the Gemara mentions is Shomim Mashivim. They hear an insult and they don't react. Now that's higher level. Is that not just you don't insult back, but you don't get, 
I'll tell you the truth. What I did, what? That's not good. That that you know, the higher level is someone who doesn't even not just doesn't insult back, but is even able to hold their emotions to not get frustrated back themselves. Right. And to sort of and I, I'll tell you the truth with me, is that I think I was good on level one. I didn't insult back. I didn't tell the guy across the room something not nice. But level two was a little tough. I did walk out of the room, and as he was, you know, I, I like basically ignored him on my way out. I wasn't really having a conversation with him, and it just walked out. So level two, that's harder, much harder, because to hold back your words, you can do to hold back that you shouldn't say something or do or just react in some way is even harder than that. The third level, the Gemara says, is Sumechim. There's someone who's happy with the pain. Now that sounds crazy. Why would you be happy? So hopefully if we explain it in the next few minutes, you'll understand. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you a few stories in the Gemara. And each one will help us understand this message. And I tell you in advance, if you're frequent in this class, you know I'm not a very big voodoo rabbi. I don't tell a lot of Kabbalah, I don't tell a lot of, if this happens, you get blessed, and these things change, and things happen. I don't know that. Maybe some people do. I don't. I never got the memo on exactly what happens. I'm just going to tell you a Gemara in Berachot. Okay, listen to the Gemara. First I'll tell you the Gemara as it's said in the book, and then we'll try to explain it. Question is like this. Do dead people know what's happening in this world? Do dead people know what's happening? So this is a question the Gemara is. And the Gemara then says we're going to prove it with a story. Here's the story. Story of a very pious, very righteous man. Who one day was very poor as well. And he gave what was basically his last dollar to a poor man. He came home and his wife wasn't happy. And so his wife, it says, his wife, like, you know, seemingly insulted him and, and agitated him. And in response to his wife insulting him and, and agitating, he got up and he left the house and he went to sleep in a graveyard. This is the Gemara says. And the day that this happened was Erev Rosh Hashanah. So he's sleeping in the graveyard. And he hears two souls talking. One Nishama says to the other, says, Tonight's Rosh Hashanah, God's going to make the decree for the whole year. Why don't we go and find out what God is going to say and what the world's going to get this year? It's two girls. One girl says to the other, she says, Tell you the truth, I wasn't buried properly. I was buried in reeds or something. It's improperly buried in. And because of that, my soul is incapable of going to that level. You go. And tell me what happens. So the soul went. This is all clear, word for word in the Gemara. There's no Rashi, no commentary. This is the Gemara. So the soul goes up, comes back down. What happened? What are they saying? Achorea Pagud, behind the curtain, behind God's curtain. What are they saying? So God said that this year, the first crop is going to get destroyed by hell, but the second crop is going to be very successful. And it's going to be fine. So this pious man wakes up the next morning. He says, well, I got it. Goes back home. Everyone plants in the first season. He waits and he plants in the second crop. Everyone else's crop gets wiped out by terrible storms. And his crop is very successful. Beautiful. He's making a lot of money. 
says, you know what? Next Rosh Hashanah comes. He says, it worked. It's a good idea. So he goes back to his regular spot to go to take a nap in the graveyard. He's sleeping in the graveyard. Same conversation. One girl tells another girl, you want, let's go. Let's. He is. The other girl says, didn't I tell you last year? I can't come. Not able. Okay, you go. Tell me what happens. He goes up, comes back. And then the Shama tells the other one, well, this year, there's going to be very successful crop in the first half of the year. The second crop is going to be wiped out with a plague. So now the guy hears it. Okay, everyone else says, you know what, last year the second crop was good. So they're going to plant in the second crop. He plants in the first crop. Plants in the crop. Everyone else plants in the second crop. Everyone else wiped out. He's very successful. Finally, after two years, this is why he says, What's happening? We used to be as poor as can be, and now you're very successful. What happened? Finally, she nudges him enough. He tells her the story. I was in the graveyard. I heard that this, the one neshamat went to the other. So, a little while later, his wife is having a conversation with the mother of the girl who was buried in the reeds. And they get into a little fight. And they get into a fight back and forth. So the wife says, You're talking to me? You buried your daughter in reeds. The woman was insulted. Next Rosh Hashanah, the man came back for a third go-around. Lies down. One soul says to the other, let's go down. Says, did I tell you already? Says, so you go, I'll go and I'll tell you. Says, no, 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 don't go and tell me. There's somebody listening. And that's how the Gemara ends the story. The Gemara says, you see apparently that they do here and the Gemara then discusses that. What's the explanation for the story? So the Maharsha, one of the commentaries say, it was a dream. That the rabbi was having the dream it wasn't really who goes to sleep in a graveyard. What kind of thing is that? Hasid, pious man on Erev Rosh Hashanah is going to sleep in a graveyard, going back to sleep. What it says it was a dream. Many commentaries say, "What are you doing? You can't take the whole Gemara not little. The whole point of the Gemara is of the souls. You can hear the souls talking. Seems to be the whole thing was lied. So if you saw Salata as this explanation for the Gemara, I'll tell you his explanation like this. He says, "What happened?" is this man was insulted by his wife. He got agitated. We told you before, what was he? A Hasid, a very pious man. And so he felt bad that it bothered him so much. He thought he was on the level that he could not respond. How do you reach the level that you don't respond? How do you reach that level? How do you be? Like Moshe Rabbeinu, which was Anav, very, very humble. Very, very humble. How does a person instantly humble themselves? They start to think, look who I am, look how born I am, people this, I'm, ah, I have money, I have, well, he didn't have money, but I'm Hasid, I'm pious. You think about the day of death. You think, you know what? There's an end, you're going to be nothing. All you think you are, you're nothing really in the end. And so he went to the graveyard, not uh, spooky, went to the graveyard to remind himself, to subdue himself, to focus himself. And this is where the commentary stops. But I think that he missed half the story. As I think it's not a coincidence that he went to the graveyard, he humbled himself. God said, now you got to this level that you cannot respond. And now he heard these secrets that gave him tremendous beracha. The first year and the second year. And again, it's no coincidence that once his wife insulted back, the blessing stopped. 
Because Nelvin Venam Obin, the strength, the power comes from being able to get insulted and hold back. He, as long as he was able to, he was working on that and re, able to reach that level, God was blessing him. Once he stopped that level, once his wife was using it as ammunition against somebody else, God cut the beracha. Again, that's a Gemara. I'll tell you another one. Too spooky? Should I give you another one? Yeah, yeah. You okay? Gemara says about a rabbi named Rabbi Yeshua, I think it was Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi, was ben Korcha, excuse me, was very sick. So sick that Papa said, prepare the coffin. Little while later, Rabbi Yeshua ben Korcha comes back. This is a Gemara in Rosh Hashanah. Rabbi Yeshua ben Korcha comes back. And he's better again. So now that Papa's embarrassed. Because the man wakes up and there's a coffin right there. I mean, he basically predicted his demise. And now he's alive. Rabbi Yeshua ben Korcha sort him out. He says, don't be embarrassed. To tell you the truth, my soul left. And I went to heaven, I heard them say in heaven that he deserves to move on. But because he had the strength, he's the kind of person that doesn't respond and is able to hold back, we're going to send him back in. Again, Rosh Hashanah. So you want to know how to learn it, how to understand it, literal, not so literal, what it means, what it doesn't mean. That you could go in your philosophy class and discuss it. I don't care about that. What I care about is the message that the Gemara is clearly saying is that ability to hold back. And the Gemara then says, Someone who has the strength to not respond, we remove all his sins. What that means? A person has that strength to be in the moment and to be humble enough. You know why? Because most things we do, you tell us to work on something, to pray. So I could plan to pray tomorrow, make a schedule to pray tomorrow. You, you, play, you, know, you tell me to keep Shabbat. So I set up for Shabbat. I organize my week to keep Shabbat. Here you're telling me to be in the heat of the moment where someone says something, we're totally out of the blue, where you weren't prepared and you weren't, they just, something came out and now you have a split second to react then we see the real you. And then we see if you really have strength. Because to prepare for something is easier. To be able to not be prepared and still have the strength to hold back, that's much stronger. And that's the level, that's the level. Gemara says if you have the ability to hold back, Gemara says that we wipe out his sins. I don't know if it means, Larashid seems to explain, it's not literally wiping out all the sins, but it's, he's, God looks away at a lot of things that the person does because the person has that strength. Very, very hard thing. This is not... I could talk about classes, about everything other subject that you mentioned, and, and we could... It's not so... It's Okay, you discuss it, you work on it, slowly you get there. This is much harder because no one prepares you, no one warns you, no one tells you, oh, you know, by the way, at the second meal on Pesach, get ready for an insult. No. It just happens. You come there, you're worn down, your kids are running around a little, you're tired, it's toward the end of the meal, and then you're about to go or something, you're about to get dessert, and boom, it comes. And now you're not prepared. Maybe you don't have allies with you. You're like sort of alone, and you feel like they got you. And you have to have the strength in the spur of the moment to be nailed and I'm all It's very powerful, very strong, and very hard thing. I used to have a rabbi, I remember it was in school, 10th grade, 9th grade. He used to tell us, he says, if you ever get insulted, he says, go to the corner and pray for Mashiach. He says, because then you're very powerful. So don't waste your prayer on a few dollars or a test or something. Go to the corner and pray 
that God said, Mashiach, because the world needs your prayer right now, is very, very, very strong, very powerful. This was the strength that Moshe Rabbeinu had. Now, Moshe Rabbeinu naturally was not this. There's a very interesting Eben Ezra. Eben Ezra asked the question, why was Moshe Rabbeinu raised in Paro's house? The leader of the Jewish people. The greatest leader of all time. Wouldn't you think he should be raised like a good Jewish boy, a little yeshiva or something? You know, what's he doing in Paro's house? God set up that the greatest leader of all time should be in Paro's house. Anyone hear this question? You ever hear you know an answer to this question? Yeah. You know the answer? He wouldn't be intimidated, but he had to go back in. So, oh, oh hey, that's good. That's not Evan Ezra said. There's two answers that Evan Ezra says. That's a good answer. So Is that... Rise above anything? No, well, he says two answers. She's Number like, what? Like Rachel, that she was brought up in, in, in the house of Lavan. And, 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 and she oh, overcame it. That's a good one. That's not what he says. I like that answer and this answer. And this, I like these answers. But this not, he's, he, he gives two answers. Number one, he says because he, he says because very often people respect an outsider more than an insider. And so instead if you can't a kid, a little Jewish kid, little uh, Yaakov can't say, Oh, you know, I played ball with him and I went to school with him and we played punch ball with him. No, no, no. You never were with him. He was an outsider, he has a little more aura about him because he's an outsider. And another reason he says is God wanted him to be raised in a king's house so that he should have the ability to have that leadership, to look at himself as an important person, to gain that, I don't know what you, the word you use for it, but our, our dignity, aristocrat, this, this prestige, that kind of person that is, and that's what he naturally was. That's what he was raised to be. And so the greatness of Moshe was is that he was raised to be a king and yet he was the humblest man on the face of the earth. You know, there's a law that says, Gemara says that a person, in order to be a prophet, there's a bunch of requirements. He has to be strong. He has to be smart. He has to be wealthy. He has to be tall. And he has to be humble. Now, wouldn't you say... What are all those things? Who cares about those things? As long as he's wise and humble, I understand. But what's strong and wealthy and and and, and to what are these things? Well, from Hashem. Right. What does it mean? See, he says like this. No, he says like this. Is that when you have all those things, you're naturally not humble. If you're able to be humble with all of it, then that's real humility. You know, to really feel like a nothing is not, that's nothing to do with humility. Humility is to know what you are, to know how important you are, and still have the strength that he has someone, his sister's talking about him. She, he could easily say, I mean, sis, I've been in heaven for 40 days and 40 nights. I talk to God every day. You don't even come to my feet about the power of the prophecy that I have. I walk in, I could talk. He, he was. He was everything. And yet he didn't say a word. That's real humility. Humility is not that you get embarrassed and you don't even have a comeback so you don't say anything. No. The humility is that you have something much better. That they put you in the ground and you can put them deep in the ground. And that you know you'll get... They laugh, they laugh from her line but they'll crack up from yours. And you don't say a word. That's real strength. That's the nail of the That's the power that we're talking. That's the power that Moshe Rabbeinu had. And there's more examples in the Gemara about Hillel. And the Gemara says how 
patient a person should be like Hillel. I'll give you one more, and then I'll tell you a little story. I'll give. Now we have a little time. I'm going five minutes over time. I think I can. I, we started very late. Gemara tells about Hillel. Gemara says in Shabbat, a person should be humble like Hillel and not tough like Shammai. And some of the stories that the Gemara then tells are famous. You know the story of the man who says, can I come and convert? Convert me while I'm standing on one leg. And Shammai knocks him out. He says, what are you talking about? I can't teach you the whole Torah standing on one leg. Hillel says, I'll teach it to you. The whole Torah is, don't do to your friend what you don't like done to yourself. The rest is just all commentaries. That's the Torah. And there's another story where another person said, convert me in order that I become Kohen Gadol. Shammai said, are you crazy? Hillel said, Fadal, joined the Jewish people. And then eventually explained to him the laws. The guy said, how can I become Kohen Gadol? Even, even a regular Israel can't become Kohen Gadol. I guess I'm out. So Hillel said, yeah, apparently you are. Another person said, hey, teach me uh, to, the whole, t- I want to accept the written Torah, not the oral Torah. Shammai knocked him out, Hillel was patient. That's what Gemara says. But there's another story of Hillel. On a Friday afternoon, you know the story? person came to Hillel, two people were having a debate. And they got into a fight, and one said, you know what, I'll bet you. 400, there's 400 that you can't make, that you can't make Hillel hang- angry. The other man said, you telling me $400? I'll do it. I'll figure it out. So he went on, when is the most chaotic time in a person's week? Friday afternoon. Goes to about afternoon, and he comes outside of Hillel's house, and he starts, hey, is Hillel here? Is Hillel here? Not Rabbi Hillel. Not the chief Rabbi Hillel. Is Hillel around? Hillel around. Hillel comes in the shower, comes running out, wraps his body, comes running out. What is it you like? He says, Rabbi, I want to understand why do people have pointy eyes? And Hillel explains it, the sand and so on. Goes back up, hour later. Is Hillel around? Is Hillel around? And Hillel comes down. What is it, sir? He says, Do you explain to me why certain people have flat feet? Explains it to him. Gives him an explanation because they live on the sand. And what? Goes back in. Comes back, hour later. Is Hillel around? Hillel. At some point, if it's me, I say, You know what? I'm Hillel. First of all, I'm a rabbi Hillel to you. That's number one. Number two, it's Friday afternoon. Send me a little memo. Send me a note under the door. I'll give you your, you know, the science answers later. I, rabbi, I want to understand why their heads are round. Each question, answer. Finally, I'll say, listen, I have all the time you need. Sit down, come and ask me questions. Whatever you like, ask. Man starts asking, asking. Finally, the man says, he says, tell you something. There should be no more people like you in the whole world. <coughs> well, 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 what's wrong? What what'd I do? And he says, you basically made me lose 400 zoos. I'm out for it, the world. He says, the world is only deserved, needs to have a person like me in the world. Is that you need to be able to have that strength. Now, that's hard. You're Hillel. You think you're, you're someone who's very, very important. You know, someone else calls you by your first name. It's no big deal. But when you're the leader of the Jewish people, Hillel, that every woman who never learned Gemara in their life knows the name Hillel. It was that 2,000 years later. So it's a man of tremendous greatness to be able to not respond and to keep taking it and being annoyed and frustrated and, and not react. One more story in the Gemara. Give me a lot of these today. But my point to show you is that it's not this magic that I made up. It's that the Gemara in Berachot, in Shabbat, in two places, in Rosh Hashanah, and now this last one in Ta'anit, keeps saying the same thing. And if the Gemara keeps saying it over and over again, it's not 
other explanations. The Gemara is telling you this. And the truth is, uh, last night I had a meeting with someone who is very, very wealthy. And I was talking to him about this thing, this thing of being, and he tell me back, he says, tell you the truth, I had a period in my, time, in my life, maybe 15 years ago, where he was, his family was very, very knocked, and they didn't respond. And he says, I saw Berachot all over the place. He says, he's saying, he says, I saw myself. He says, I'm not one of those who buys into the thing. He says, I saw a blessing. I can give you 20 examples of the blessing I saw by not responding. I'll tell you one last one. Says Biakiva. Excuse me. The people where there was a famine. And they went famine, and the famine was lasting for a few months. Until it got to the point that they started to pray, and they started to fast, and they started to fast. And finally they sent up one of the great leaders, Rabbi Eliezer, to go and pray. Rabbi Eliezer went and prayed instead of a normal 18 Berachah Amidah or 19 Berachah Amidah. He prayed to Amidah with 24 Berachot, praying for God to send rain. We need rain, it's a drought, we need rain, all the crops, everything is dependent on the rain. He finished his whole Amidah, no response. Rabbi Akiva goes up. Rabbi Akiva says, Avinu malkenu rachem alenu. God, Father in heaven, have mercy on us. Avinu malkenu salach lanu. Father in heaven, forgive us. <coughs> and rain fell. So now people started to talk. Apparently, Rabbi Eliezer is not quite as great as Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Eliezer is going, he's crying, he's yelling, he's screaming, no reaction. Rabbi Akiva, in two minutes, boom, God sends rain. Gemara says, a voice came out from heaven and said that it's not that Rabbi Eliezer is, Rabbi Akiva is greater than Rabbi Eliezer. No. There's one difference between them. Rabbi Akiva is a person who is ma'avir amidotav. Rabbi Akiva is a person who when you say something, you insult him, he doesn't respond. Rabbi Eliezer is not. That's the difference. You want to know why he was able to bring the blessing? Because he had that strength. And the truth is, one of the commentaries explained that Rabbi Eliezer was a student of Shammai who believed in being, who believed in responding, who believed in, you know what, you, you represent Torah, a person can't defile Torah like that, you have to come out back. Someone sends you a line, you have to send it back. Rabbi Akiva was a student from Hillel, who believed the opposite. Hillel believed, you take it, you don't respond. And that's why he was able to bring the blessing. One last story, and we're done. This is a story I've told this before, but, but it's, it's, it's uh, very appropriate for the class. I'll say it again. This was, took place uh, 15, 20 years ago. It was Hasidic Rebbe. Hasidic Rebbe is in his house with his students. And a man comes, one of the students comes running in frantic. Rebbe, 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 I have to talk to the Rebbe right now, right now. They rush him into the Rebbe, Rebbe, what is it? Rebbe, Rebbe, my wife is in the hospital. She's giving birth. And the doctors are saying very bad prognosis. They don't know what's going to be. They think it's going to be very bad. What should I do, Rebbe? You got to pray. You got to bless. You gotta... He says, don't worry about it. She's going to be fine. So, Rabbi, I'm telling you, you don't understand. All the doctors, they're standing around, they're all nervous. He said, trust me, she's going to be fine. Man goes back to the hospital. Sure enough, his wife is fine. The baby, the wife, everything's fine. So now the students turn to the Rabbi, Rabbi, you're not a prophet. How do you, how do you know? Like, how do you know? Uh, who told you? You weren't even in the hospital to see what's going to happen. How do you know? He says, I'll tell you. He says, a few days ago, we were in shul. And a poor man came collecting from person to person. And a person, one guy gives him a nickel, and I gives him a quarter, and I got 50 cents. And then all of a sudden we heard all the coins splatter on the floor. So everyone turned around to see what happened. So we thought like he dropped the coins. We looked a little closer, and we saw what really happened. 
is that he had come over to this man. This poor man came over to this man with the wife. And the man, like everybody else, took out a quarter or something and gave it to him. Apparently this poor man was so frustrated, maybe he wasn't having a good day. And he took the coins and he threw it in the man's face. And he said, you're telling me, you're giving me a quarter? What a miser, what a cheapskate you are. You know, you have, you could do it and you can't, no one, you're insulting and shambling and shambling back on and on and on in front of the whole shoe. Look at him, look what kind of person he is. He gives nothing, he's embarrassment, yelling and screaming. The whole time, the man is quiet. and say a word. After the man is done with his whole diatra, the, rab, the man says, how much do you need? Pulls out a checkbook and writes in a check for what he needs. He says, the Gemara says in Chulin, this Gemara I didn't tell you. The Gemara says, Tole eres abilima. The world hangs on nothing. What does the Gemara say? What does this mean? The world hangs on the nothingness that somebody says in an argument. You say something to me and I say nothing back. The world hangs on that zechut. The whole world is suspended in midair by the zechut of a person who can be in an argument and responds with nothing. He says, I was confident if the whole world could hang on that nothingness, that his wife could hang on it too. And that's how I knew that she would be fine. There's no greater power. We think usually the power is in the response. The power is in not responding. We saw from great men, from Hillel, from Moshe Rabbeinu, to Hillel, to the Hasid, to, to the Biakiva, to this, to the, the Yeshua ben Korcha, to this Gemara, to every example along the way, that when a person has the strength to not respond, there's nothing that makes him more powerful. Baruch Adonai Amen, Amen.